one of those last little books in the Old Testament, Haggai, chapter 1, as we're spending a few weeks to work through this little book. It's only a couple of chapters. This morning we'll look at chapter 1, verses 12 to 15, quite a brief passage. You know, we live in a world that values results. People don't care much how things happen. They just want to see results. They want to see progress in the bottom line. Meanwhile, we Christians often speak of the importance of the greater importance of what we believe. Uh, we find uh, what happens, the results of, of less importance, perhaps. Now, now there are certainly times to be that way. God wants us to be faithful with the truth, and, and even if it doesn't seem to be the most, uh, uh, the, the, the most expedient thing, but to leave the results in his hands. But there are also times when we may be kidding ourselves with our talk when we should be responding to God's word with our actions. There are times when God wants results, and he wants them now. Our text is one of those times. Here we read the results of last week's sermon. So if you weren't here last week, or if you forgot, let me just review for a second. God's people, Israel, had come back from their 70-year exile to Babylon, excited to rebuild their lives, especially to rebuild their worship of the Lord. They began in a flurry. In fact, they got so far as uh, pouring a foundation for the uh, temple of the Lord to be rebuilt. Ah, But then things got tough, and they ran into problems, and they finally quit, and everyone kind of went home and busied himself with building his own house and getting his own farm in, in order and doing his own thing. Now, 16 years later, God sends the prophet Haggai to tell them that God's work demands some priority here. God wants it done now. And he won't settle for anything less. In fact, God says the economic struggle they're having is a sign of his judgment on them because they have neglected what matters to him. So what happened? What was their response? Well, that's what we have in our text. Let me read it. Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Here we learn two important, pretty straightforward lessons from this text. The first is this. God requires hard obedience. God requires hard obedience. You kids may know more about hard obedience than your parents these days. Hard obedience is when you hear these words. Because I'm your father and I told you so, that's why. That's calling for hard obedience probably sounds familiar to your kids, but most of us parents haven't heard those words directed to us for a long time, so we may have forgotten. But for parents and kids alike, God requires hard obedience. That do it whether you feel like it or not, 
you're going to be in big trouble if you don't kind of obedience. That hard obedience is what we find in our text in verse 12. Zerubbabel and Joshua and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord. And the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. They obeyed. And what was the motive? Two things. They obeyed because they recognized that the Lord sent Haggai. In other words, they recognized God was saying, because I'm your God, that's why. And then there's another motive in verse 12, at the end of the verse. The people feared the Lord. As a kid growing up, the worst words I could ever hear in a confrontation with my mother were the words, okay, I'm going to tell your father. Now, I love my father, but as surely as I loved him, I also learned to fear him when I disobeyed. These people of Israel knew the fear of their heavenly father. They recognized that the judgment of God was upon them because of their neglect of his work. And they were afraid to continue down that road to keep taking on the Lord, for no one withstands his judgment. God requires hard obedience. Now, the motives here really are duty and fear. I know those aren't very popular ideas in our day. We prefer more popular, or more, more positive, I'm sorry, motivation. We, we, we prefer to please God because we want to, rather than because of a sense of duty. Uh, to serve him out of love, not fear. And I hope that's the case. I, I, I hope that's indeed true of all of us. But if it's not, then we maybe ought to learn from our text. For if you can't obey from positive motives, you better still obey even out of fear. We dare not turn the gospel of God's grace into a license for disobedience. God is not mocked. He requires hard obedience. Then note that this hard obedience applied to everyone. Consider Zerubbabel, for example. Zerubbabel was the governor of these people. Not only that, he was a national hero. He had been the one that led the first wave of uh, returnees from Babylon. 42,000 people followed him back to Israel. And now he's the the head of the whole uh, community there. But when the word of the Lord came through Haggai, he didn't uh, flaunt his achievements or or, or his high position, we read that he obeyed. Or, or consider Joshua. Joshua's job was to teach people about the Lord and to be a mediator between God and his people. But when Haggai came along preaching the word of God, Joshua didn't give himself a pass because he was the high priest. No, with hard obedience, he subjected himself to God's word, just like everyone else. And not only the leaders, but all the people obeyed. They were like those that we read about in the, in, the, in the town of Thessalonica in the New Testament, who heard the gospel, not as the words of men, but as it really is the word of God. And so these Israelites did what God said. Folks, we never outgrow obedience. Our children think we do because they never hear somebody say to us, because I told you so. But we better not believe it. Hard obedience is not only for children. This is the way of faithfulness. 
Now you may say, well, what, wait a minute, what about faith? What about believing rather than good works? Folks, this is faith. Believing enough to do what God said. You see, it's easy to obey God when I see how obeying him is going to, is going to benefit me. That's easy. Or when I feel great love for him and desire to please him. That doesn't require a lot of faith. That, that kind of obedience is just doing what I feel like doing, which is what all the rest of the world does. Although God has given me in that moment godly feelings, and so it's easier. No, faith comes into play when God says something I don't like. When I don't see why. When I don't want to. When I don't agree that God's way is best for me. But I know that God said it. Therefore, I'm determined to obey and afraid not to. That's acting in faith. Out of sheer belief that what God says is true. That's the hard obedience the Lord requires. So I challenge you. Is there anything that you know to be God's will, though you may not feel like it? Though you don't think you're able to do that? Though you don't want to? But still you know God requires it in his word. I would say to you, God isn't kidding. He requires hard obedience. That's the way of salvation. It begins with the obedience of repentance. Turning away from the very sin that we love. You've probably heard that Jesus invites us to come to him. No, actually, Jesus commands us to come to him to turn away from our sin and follow him. That's what Jesus did with the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. He said, you, follow me. That wasn't a sweet invitation with flowery things and some incentives. That was, you, follow me. Hard obedience. And they did follow because they believed what he said. But folks, such obedience is not just the beginning of our faith. This is the way of faith, saying no to ungodliness. Submitting ourselves as servants of, of righteousness. Uh, getting about the business of building the work of God in our day. Whether we feel like it or not. Whether we have time for it or not. Whether we feel comfortable about it or not. Whether we feel appreciated or not. God calls us to hard obedience. And the book of James, the book of James, he says to us that if our faith does not, present, pre, does not produce that kind of obedience, we're kidding ourselves about our faith. Our faith is useless. Now, the specific, uh, the specific issue here in our text is the building of God's temple, or, or for us, the building of God's living temple made of living stones and people. So has God called you to some specific task in that building project? If so, what are you doing sitting here waiting? I don't know what the call of God is for you, but this I know from my experience that there will be a thousand reasons why you can't do that, why it's not time to do that, why it's too hard to do or whatever. But God wants obedience. He wants yes, sir, no excuse, sir, kind of obedience. And he will not settle for less. Now, that's a hard truth. But there's a second truth. 
that also goes right with that in our text. And the second truth is that God changes hearts. God changes hearts. Here's the good news. Without it, everything that we just heard is nothing but oppressive moralizing. It's beating us over the head with more rules and more requirements and more judgment. But this morning, I tell you the good news. God changes the hearts of those who repent and follow him. We see that in verses 13 and 14. Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the, to, of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. And so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and stirred up the spirit of Joshua and stirred up the spirit of the whole remnant of his community. And they came and they began to work on the house of the Lord. Here's the other side of hard obedience. We've all tried harder to please God, only to find that the results uh, we got were just greater frustration. And now he says, obey me, yet again. And we're challenged with the hard obedience. But here we see that there's more to it than just God's command plus our best efforts. Here we learn that what we see as hard obedience, God sees as the action of our hearts that he has changed to make us willing to obey. So when we have responded with hard obedience, if we look back, we will see that it was God working all the time. He's the one that changed my mind. He's the one that changed my will. He's the one that renewed my heart. One of my very favorite hymns makes this point. The words of the first verse go like this. I sought the Lord. And afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him. (laughs) Seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found. By thee. These are great words of encouragement. God is working to change hearts. Or his word often comes to us in terms of a hard obedience. But that does not mean that he's just far off and has given us the rules and left us on our own. No, in fact, the opposite is true. He is working in us. He is enabling us to believe him and obey. That's the only reason any of us do obey, because God worked it in us. By nature, we just go astray forever. This reality of God at work behind our response of obedience is the clear teaching of the Scripture. Some examples. We read about in Acts 16, Lydia heard the gospel, and we read, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Here she comes, repenting and believing, because the Lord had worked in her heart to do those things. John 6, Jesus invites us to come to him. With these words, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. But just a few verses later, he explains, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And the classic text of this is is, uh, in Philippians 2. There we read, therefore, my dear friends, as you have obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and tribulation. Trembling. Man, that's hard obedience. That's a call, a command to hard obedience. Keep reading. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That's the second point. 
God is changing hearts. The point of all this is that God's work is not just the result of having the rules and, 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 and trying our best to obey. No, Jesus said he will build his church. Now, he certainly calls us to hard obedience. But he's the one who changes our hearts so that we do believe and do act and obey. He is always the architect. He's always the builder. He's always the driving force. What he is doing is nothing less than the supernatural work of God changing the hearts of people so that we will do what he created us and commanded us to do. I have a favorite illustration that you've heard lots of times. You'll hear lots more times, so today's one more time. Picture Jesus, John chapter 11. Jesus is standing before his friend Lazarus' tomb. Lazarus is dead. He's been dead for four days. Jesus stands there and weeps. His friend is in there, dead as a rock. His muscles don't work. His ears don't hear. His heart doesn't beat. He's helpless. Then Jesus walks up to the tomb and tells him to roll the stone away. And he says in a loud voice, Lazarus, come here. You talk about hard obedience, this is hard obedience. It's really hard to obey when you're dead. What happens? Lazarus gets up and comes out, wrapped from head to toe in strips of cloth that they wrapped, wrapped him in. For you see, the Lord who calls us to do the impossible at the same time gives life to our dead souls, enabling us to obey him. Of course, we'll never know that until we start to obey. God changes hearts. Now, from Lazarus's perspective, I'm sure this was sheer obedience. He's laying there cold, and suddenly he hears something. It's Jesus' voice. And, and he says, come here, and he struggles to move. He can't even move. And, and, and he's wrapped up, and he's mummified almost, and he's trying to get his legs down, and he's trying to get around. He's probably hopping out of there with a lot of effort, trying to get, trying to obey. But as he obeyed, it became obvious to all. It wasn't about Lazarus. His obedience was evident that God had given him life. Folks, that's what Jesus is doing today. He's calling spiritually dead people, you, come follow me. How absurd is that? They can't come. They can't hear that word. They don't understand it. And then here they come. For he's the life giver. And that's what he continues to do in us. We who know him. He calls us to do the impossible. It seems so hard we don't even know where we would start. But as we set out to obey we find that he changes our hearts. He empowers us by his, his spirit. He, he, he brings about supernatural results, for the work is his, not ours. That's what happened in our text. God stirred up the hearts of the leaders. God stirred up the hearts, the spirits of the people. And so that's my prayer for us, that God would stir up our hearts that the refreshing wind of his spirit would blow through here, bringing refreshment to every one of us, revitalizing the, 
the, the, the gifts he has given to us, changing the hearts that have grown cold to him, giving us a passion for his work. Would you dare to seek that from the Lord? To pray that way too? You see, it's not what you say you believe. It's how you respond that matters. And the proper response to God's word is faith. That's an unseen quality that produces hard obedience, which will be obvious to all. But how is it possible that we might obey when we're so inclined to rebel? Because God changes hearts. May the hymn from a hundred years ago, written by Bessie Head, be our constant prayer. It goes like this. O breath of life, come sweeping through us. Revive your church with life and power. O breath of life, come cleanse, renew us, and fit your church to meet this hour. Let's pray. Father, we need that you would give us a heart to even listen and to set out to obey you. But then, even as we do, Lord, we realize that unless you enable us, unless you change our hearts, unless you're at work, all of our best efforts are for nothing. So, Lord, send your spirit, the breath of life, to sweep through us and to change us and make us what you want. As certainly as you did for the ancient Israel in the days of Haggai, change these leaders, change these people, renewed their faith, gave them a holy passion for what you were doing. Do that in us, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's uh, sing just in response to this, uh, that little chorus at 726 in your hymnal, Spirit of the living God. Let's just sing it as a prayer response to God's word.